Before we get to our show, here is a podcast we think you're going to love. Do you get obsessed about the faces on Mars? Are you a fan of the X-Files, Fringe, or Slenderman? Listen to the Envious Aliens podcast with your host, Heather Woodworth. On this show, she gives you a deep dive into topics that don't usually get covered or see the light of day. The spooky, the weird, the macabre, the paranormal, and of course, aliens. Envious Aliens podcast. Find us at podcast.enviousaliens.com. That's podcast.nvusaliens.com. See you there, and don't forget to bring your tinfoil hat. Podcast.mvsaliens.com. Hello and welcome, friends and enemies. It's perhaps it's you. An unofficial Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. That was Samantha. And that was Liz. And we're here today to talk about, wow, is it a bad episode of Unsolved Mysteries? It's I'm real s- bad. I don't know. There's no point you- in sugarcoating it. I'm not going to try to hype it up. I'm not going to try and make it sound better than it is. It flat out sucks. It was, it's terrible. I I literally watched it like a couple hours ago and I, it's so not memorable that all I can remember is like one mustache. <laughs> so That's just sometimes the way. Oh, but we do have some announcements before... We get into the meat. Very important announcements. Okay. First announcement that I forgot to say last time was that I'm on an episode of the Sip and Shine podcast talking about Sylvia Plath. And that was really fun. And this Sylvia- is the second time you've been on that, that podcast. Yes. I previously talked about some women who went missing at the Indiana Dunes. This is slightly more literary. So yeah, check that out. If you're not already sick of the sound of my voice, but how could you be? Yeah, come on. You know you want more. You're dying for more Liz content. Yeah, and that's free, so go download that. But we have a more important announcement, which is that we are going to be at the Chicago True Crime Podcast Festival, like now, like July 13th, the the Saturday. Probably the day you're listening to this. Now, uh, so this Saturday, we are going to be at that festival in Chicago. Are you going to be there? Will you come say hi to us? So if you're in the area, if you're not going to the festival, that's fine. I mean, you're missing out, but whatever. You can also find us. We're having a meetup later yes. in the day. We're having a casual meetup by, nearby the festival. So if you're at the festival, you can stop by. But if you're not because you don't want to spend money on that, that's fine. This is free. At 5 p.m., we are going to be at what apparently is called Seneca Park. It is that park by Water Tower Place in front of the MCA. It's quite small, but you... If you're in Chicago, you probably know what I'm talking about. You will be able to find us because we will be there with a giant inflatable alien. Robbie Stacky is coming with. So, so if you would like your photo taken with Robbie Stacky, or we designed some uh, stickers just to hand out at this thing, you should come. You should say hi. You should make us not feel like dopes. Because if it's just me and Samantha sitting in this park twiddling our thumbs. With man, a oh, man. giant inflatable alien. I mean, it's not going to be the weirdest thing people see that day, but still. It won't even be the weirdest thing we've done, but it's going to be <laughs> awkward. So show up and make us feel good about ourselves. Get a free sticker. Get your photo taken with Robbie Stacky. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be a good time. Yeah. Uh, our resident librarian, Megan, is going to be there. You can meet her. And uh, I don't know. We'll sign something. If that's anything oh. anybody would want. Weird. I don't know. Look, it's a possibility. I'm putting it out there. Like sign someone's forehead. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. No, I, not, I refuse. I'm if not that's doing what you that. want, I'll do it. Okay, Liz will do it. In a Sharpie, really big. <laughs> and then I expect you to go to the tattoo shop and be like this. Just, Liz just pointed to her forehead. Yeah. Make it permanent. <laughs> if that's what you want, if, if your heart's desire is a tattoo of Liz's signature on your forehead, I'm, oh my God. I'm, I'm only going to judge I mean, you a little bit. I sure hope it's not, but also I will make that dream come true. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to this little trip. We're going to be at the festival on Saturday, this coming Saturday, like two days from now when you're listening to this. Uh, come say hi. Yes, please do. That would be awesome. It's the first thing like this that we've ever done, and I'm kind of nervous about it. I can't believe it's already here. I feel weird about it. Even yeah. though we're just attending, we're not even like speaking or anything. I still. I'm not even sure we get a table. We might get a corner. We get of a like table. a slice of a table, 
that I'm literally just going to stick a sign on that's like, come meet us at the park. Right. Oh, and we have business cards now. We're so official. We do have business cards, so we are extremely official. And we're just going to, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what this is going to be like. I guess we're just going to stand there. I'm going to be wearing my Lost Loves t-shirt. Me too. So that's how you'll be able to find us. I think our podcast is called Lost Loves, but. Which, whatever. It's weird. We don't. I mean, these are, we don't even have our own t-shirts. These are fan-made t-shirts, which I really appreciate uh, the Maybe fact I'll that I have them. Maybe I'll put a logo sticker on, like, each boob. Oh, sure. You like, know. In the nipple region? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So then Do that. people are like, oh, it's perhaps you. have to you. squint at your yeah. boobs to read what our podcast is called? Yeah. Uh, sure. Just to get the word out, you know. Look, it's going to be weird, but it's going to be fun as well. <laughs> we don't really know what we're in for. No if you are idea. at the festival, please say hi to us. It'll be awkward, but it'll also be fun. <laughs> I'm hoping to finally meet some, like, other podcasters that I only know from, like, Instagram. Yeah. yeah I think a few of them are going to be there, so that'll be yeah, fun. it's going to be wild. It's, it's going to be interesting. For so, sure. oh my god, wish us well, please. Yeah, if you're not in the Chicagoland area and you can't come see us, just send, like, good vibes our way. Yes. Because I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna do it. Does that make sense? We're, we're like, practically big-time podcasters. We're going to yeah. a festival. Yeah. Let that sink in. We are. And thanks to our Patreon supporters for, for paying for it, giving us some moolah so we can do that and promote the podcast and hopefully make it may, maybe expand to like 10 or 15 listeners. God, can you imagine? No. Oh, other. This is not really an update, but so we had we got the shadow box, right? Because you guys send us such amazing gifts and stuff. I'm looking at it right now. The other day, Lenny decided to take a shit on it. <laughs> Despite the fact that it was like prop, so I haven't hung it up. It's a little bit heavy. I'm kind of wondering how he. It's like it like went it's standing so- on like how yeah. you display it on the wall. Like it's upright. How did he shit on? He managed. This thing? He managed. And why did he shit on it? I don't. I think of all the places to shit. I don't know. I don't know. And it was disgusting. <laughs> and I don't know what that says about our podcast or. Maybe Your he's dog. Like, yeah, he was like, quit kicking me out of the room to record the podcast. I'm going to shit right on this shadow box. Then now you have to clean. Oh, God, it was awful. Oh, it's, you can't even tell. There's no, no shit left on it. Now you can see are our beautiful gifts. I know. Because I need to get some. I know. It's kind of heavy, so I haven't hung it up yet. And Yeah, you need to put it in a stud or something. Yeah, clearly I need to like get this on the wall fast before Lenny shits on it again. <laughs> Was that an update? Not really. Do I just not want to talk about this episode? Uh, we could plug our Absolutely. Patreon. Absolutely, We're going to be watching something cool for Patreon this month. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. So if you recall that show, uh, Top 10 Secrets and Mysteries. We did the art episode last time for Patreon. Now we're going to do mummies. Yes. Co- mummies and cults. You've already watched it. How much cult is so there? So I misunderstood the way the title is written. It's written like the secret and cult of mummies. So it's not really about oh, cults. So it's about that mummies. Makes sense. I was like, is there not enough mummy mysteries? That they have like five cult that mysteries and five mummy mysteries? I don't even really understand why the word cult is in that episode title at all. Okay. But I guess like there's some mummies that have sort of a... They're, like, famous mummies, so, okay. so maybe that's why. There's, like, a cult following. Yeah, but not, like, a cult cult, so. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that'll be fun. Stay I love tuned for talking that about mummies. Later this month. And mummy puns. Also, if you give us $5 a month or more, which I think is the super mystery solver level, uh, our most recent coloring sheet just came out. Yeah, And it features some lovely MVMs that you get to color and name yourself. Yes, it's pretty exciting. And I really appreciate when people post their finished work. Oh my god, Beckett's is so good. So good. The art is spectacular and the names are even better. This coloring sheet in particular I really enjoy because the names people come up with are really funny. Yeah. So if you are done if you've done this coloring sheet, if you're one of our Patreon subscribers, post it. I wanna see it. Yeah, tag us on Instagram or Twitter or wherever. Post it it to our Facebook group. group. Yeah. So that I can see it. I love to see it. It's a little bit more of like an activity page. So you have some room for some creativity. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly in the name department. Absolutely. You can always draw some of your own mustaches also. Yeah, we want to see those. Okay, should we get into this? We probably this? do after. Now that we've begged people to meet us in a park. Is that weird? A little it bit. It might be weird. Whatever. So we're on, what is it now? This is season episode four, five. Episode yes, five. season four, episode five. And it's fucking stupid. I would not, I like, would not watch like, this Just like, don't one. watch this episode. No. Seriously. We have to talk about it because it's like kind of our job, sort of. But I wouldn't recommend anyone. <laughs> 
I know. Here we are working on a Sunday. It's supposed to be the Lord's Day. Yeah. And we're talking about the season four, episode five. Okay. So I don't remember if this was a missing person. It or, was. Okay. So this is a missing person uh, case set in the Vietnam War era. This is just another POW case. And it's kind of frustrating because I feel like I feel bad for these families, but also there's no mystery here. And we already talked about all this shit. Yeah, we're gonna, I'm gonna try not to rehash all the things we've talked about like the last two times we had a mystery like this, but here we go. So the segment begins with the end of the Vietnam War. We see footage of soldiers coming home to greet their waiting loved ones. And Robert Stack says that for some families, the war will never end. So on January 27th, 1973, the Paris Peace Accords were formally ratified, which meant that there would be no more American involvement in the Vietnam War. However, As many soldiers were planning to return home to their families, others were still involved in missions. Sergeant Peter Cressman, an electronics expert who flew top-secret reconnaissance missions, wrote an angry letter to his congressman. And we spend a long time learning about the contents of this letter. He was very upset that he was still in Vietnam going on missions. He went so far as to look up the language of the Paris Peace Accord and basically tell his congressman that he felt that they his platoon you know whatever his sure troops unit yeah were in violation of the peace accords because they were still going on missions in vietnam yeah that sounds reasonable to me seems honestly fair he probably wanted to go home to his family like wait aren't we done with this why are you still risking my life right he stated that he and others in his unit were in violation of the paris peace accords being forced to continue missions despite the official end of American involvement in the war. He also stated that he wanted to refuse orders, but he feared the consequences. Also understandable. Yeah. So on February 5th, 1973, Peter, along with Dale Brandenburg, Joseph Mateev, Mateev, Todd Melton, George Spitz, Severo Prim, Robert Bernhardt, and Arthur Bollinger boarded a... EC-47Q surveillance plane called the Baron 52 to fly on a secret mission. That sentence had so many numbers and like random things in it. There were a lot of names written down. Uh, Yeah, there was a lot of names. So the electronics experts, which were Peter, who this mystery is primarily about, Joseph, Dale, and Todd, were situated in the back of the plane. The flight plan called for the plane to fly from Ubon Air Force Base in Thailand to Laos. The assignment was to monitor North Vietnamese tanks that were moving into Cambodia along the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Okay. At 11.05 p.m., the plane departed. Two and a half hours later, reports came in that the plane was receiving heavy ground fire. Five minutes later, radio contact ceased. Two days later, the wreckage of Baron 52 was located in the jungle deep inside of Laos. At the time, a rescue team was only able to recover the remains of one of the pilots, Robert Bernhardt. The team did notice three other bodies in the wreckage. Two were sitting in the pilot and co-pilot seats. However, they could not recover them at the time. The other men were considered missing in action. So, Joseph... This is where the controversy begins. Yes. Joseph Mateo's mother, Mary, recalled the day that she and her husband were informed of the crash. Two military men informed them that he was missing in action and that his plane had been shot down but that he and others may have bailed out before the crash. 18 days later... there's actually no evidence of that. Yeah, I don't know why they said that. I'm not sure if they... I mean, I'm sure it's hard to go to a mother's doorstep and say that your son is missing in action and probably isn't going to come home. So I guess I can understand, like, a motivation to say, well, maybe they jumped out. But that's really doing more harm than good, because now she has this false hope that... She's not grieving properly. There was no evidence to suggest that they... Got out of this plane. plane crashed. Like Right. In the deep jungle. Yeah. Like even if they had bailed out, the likelihood that they would have made it and have been recovered alive. Like living in the jungle bear grill style, just like <laughs> you know Bear grills. Just like cutting open plants and drinking water resin. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like No, yes. this is a war zone. Absolutely. Not only is it like a probably unhospitable environment that they're not used to, it's also war right it's very unlikely that they would be they would have survived <sighs> it's just sad um there's so much denial in this segment and there's so much denial of like i feel like just the reality that we lost this war and should not have even been there right like people trying to justify all kinds of things because unfortunately they're 
their family members are gone and there's there's not a lot of sense to it. There's not a lot of like right something to hold on to. So the denial is is thick. It's, it really is. And it was not helped because 18 days later, the family was informed that actually there was no chance that any of them survived because the plane went into a tailspin after being hit. Peter Cressman's mother, Evelyn, remembered the day that she was informed that their statuses were being changed from missing in action to killed in action. She accepted the ruling at first, believing that they had positive proof. A few weeks later, they received Peter's belongings. The letter he had written to the congressman made them feel suspicious of the official ruling. I don't... I I kind of get that, and I kind of don't. Yeah. What right. are they thinking that... Okay, so he was objecting to continuing the war effort after the peace agreement, and then the congressman, what, disappeared him? I don't think they think the congressman disappeared him, because obviously the congressman never got the letter. Yeah. Uh, But I think, I don't know, maybe they think that someone in the military did, or whatever. There's this weird conspiracy later that they were sent to Russia. I don't know. We'll get there. Oh, Um, yeah, that uh, makes no sense. Yeah. That's just, like, high paranoia. So Peter's parents learned that four parachutes were missing from the crash site, suggesting that the four men escaped. They sp- uh, it's almost like a plane crashed in the jungle, yeah. and not all the parts are still there. They spent five years writing to military officials, mm-hmm. seeking special details about the case. The Air Force consistently responded based on the condition of the wreckage and the lack of a distress call that there was not enough time for the men to have bailed out. The official report concluded that all members of the Baron 52 were killed in the crash. In June 1978, the Cressmans received a phone call from an attorney with the National MIA organization. The man claimed that he had seen evidence that at least four people on the Baron 52 survived and had been captured by North Vietnamese forces. He had learned of of a report by investigative journalist Jack Anderson, which stated that U.S. intelligence had intercepted some communications by Vietnamese forces shortly after the downing of the Baron 52. Terrell Minarchin, Minarchin, Minarchin? Mm-hmm. I don't know, worked for the NSA in 1973, deciphering North Vietnamese messages. He found communication between North between North Vietnamese requesting transportation for captured American pilots which doesn't make sense because we know the pilots were dead, but fine. Due to the ceasefire, he believed that the only men that could have been captured were members of Baron 52. He believes that the men were captured after parachuting from the plane. After learning this information, the Mayatovs... Why? It's already over. What are they going to do with them? I don't know. Went to the Pentagon and looked at their son's file. In the file, there were copies of the radio intercepts, although they were mostly blacked out. They believed that they found enough information that showed that the government knew the four men had been captured. We're getting to the end, folks. I'm sorry. This is a lot. The Defense Intelligence <laughs> Agency... Samantha just pleading. Don't, don't unsubscribe. Please. We will get through I this promise. together. We're almost done. The Defense Intelligence Agency confirmed that the North Vietnamese communication existed. However, they stated that the na- nationality of the captured pilots were, was never specified. They did not believe the captured men were from Baron 52. In 1986, however, retired intelligence analyst Jerry Mooney testified before Congress, stating that Peter Cressman, Joseph Mateev, Dale Brandenburg, and Todd Melton were prisoners of war. However, he claimed that they were being held in the Soviet Union, not Southeast Asia. Terrell Minerchin believes that this was possible as prisoners with, quote, special knowledge were being taken from Vietnam to Moscow. That is just high paranoia. This total nonsense. I have, yeah, I've never heard of this before. I'm no... Vietnam era history buff, but I think the Soviet Union even supported Vietnam in this conflict. There's no evidence to support this at all. I don't I think understand. It's just like anti-communist propaganda. There's also really no evidence that the men from this unit were the people they're talking about in the even alive, yeah. let alone sent to the Soviet Union. I don't know. It's bizarre. However, there is no concrete evidence that POWs were being taken from Vietnam to the Soviet Union. The yeah, it's just oh my god. The Montana so family frustrating believe- to toy with these people's emotions like this. Yeah, yeah that they might but be like- alive and like like they contacted the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union was like, I don't think so, but we'll like look through our records. Yeah. To also, see- think of like how much we're not getting along with the Soviet Union at this time, and then the Soviet Union is like, yeah, okay, like we'll look into it, but I don't think so. Like they're actually like trying to be helpful, supposedly. Right. And this just gives the families false hope <sighs> and drags out their grieving process, which is cruel. Okay. 
I hate um, this whole thing so much. Uh, the family believes that the men's capture by the Vietnamese was covered up due to it occurring after the Paris Peace Accords. Mary Ma- Mateev, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, spoke with Dr. Roger Shields, the Assistant Secretary of Defense at the Paris Peace Talks. He claims that he was told to cross off Peter, Joseph, Dale, and Todd's names from a government list of American POWs captured in Vietnam. However, Shields recently claimed that he was not ordered to cross off the men's names. He does state that he believes that the men were captured and may still be alive. The evidence gives the families of the missing crew members hope that they are still alive and will one day be found. Still alive now in 2019? Well, no. We know this. (laughs) Yes. Very unlikely. Somehow I doubt it. And maybe... I mean, maybe it's true that the they were trying to cover up the fact that they were still doing these missions after the end, the quote end of the war. But that doesn't mean that they're alive. Yeah, that's a really good point. It so, can be both. It, it can be both. He could have been ordered to cross their names off of the list because the government didn't want people to know this, but they're still probably not alive. They just didn't know exactly what happened to them. But that doesn't mean that they're alive. So the results, according to Unsolved Mysteries, that this is unsolved. In November of 1992, a joint task oh, force... I'm pretty sure I solved it, though. <laughs> Update! Liz solved this one. Update! I'm folks. so sorry. Uh, this is the result of war. Yeah. This is this is war. They're dead. Yeah. Uh, I know. it's It sucks. It really does. And it's just unfortunate that the family wasn't allowed to grieve properly for so many years because they thought that maybe they were still alive. Okay, so in November 1992, a joint task force excavated the Baron 52 crash site and recovered the partial remains of seven men. None of the remains could be possibly identified, but the military and many of the family members of the missing men believe that they are their remains. In fact, Joseph Mateo's dog tags were recovered and identified. Ugh. For unknown reasons, some of the families refused to have DNA testing done done on the remains. In December of 1995, the remains of the Baron 52 crew were finally laid to rest at Arlington National Cemetery. Mm. Robert A. Cressman, the older brother of Sergeant Peter Cressman, further adds that his brother was positively identified by C-I-L-H-I I'm not sure what that means, based on dental x-rays. The Mm. U.S. Air Force provided those x-rays to his family, which showed a full set of upper and lower teeth. However, Peter had several teeth knocked out prior to entry into the USAF, which adds further doubt to the identification. To this day, the Cressmans and the Mateavs are still searching for answers. I don't think they're going to like that answer. No, unfortunately. If you would like to see a great example of a American denial, like deep, deep denial. In Vietnam, there is a museum towards this conflict. Guess what? It's not called the Vietnam War in Vietnam. Yeah. I don't know what it's called. Something about like American aggression or like, remember when those Americans came and attacked us for no reason, right? So there's a museum to that. And you can look that up in, on Yelp. And there's all these tourists being like, Oh, uh, I can't believe how unpatriotic this is. What? And it's like, you're in Vietnam. You can't expect to be the hero of this story. What? It's mind-boggling. That is madness. Where I just, people who have never even vaguely entertained the other side of something. Wow. And then when confronted with that, don't go, huh, I never thought of it that way. They're, they like go, No. Our boys were heroes. Right. Um, there was a, a moment in this segment, and I don't remember whose family member it was. It was an older woman, um, either the mother or the grandmother of one of the missing men. And she basically said, a lot of people have accused me of being unpatriotic because I am pressing the government for answers as to whether or not, you know, what happened to my family member. And she's like, I can't believe that you would say I'm being unpatriotic because i I'm holding the government to a higher state. I don't know. It, she what she said was very poignant, and yeah. I think, and I think she came to a very like anti-war conclusion. She said something in it like, "Well, if we're ever at war again, and here we are, having been at war for decades, and it's just so depressing." Yep. Where she's like, "Well, I just hope that we can like learn from this," and blah, and it's like, "Oh no, don't worry, we learned nothing." Of course. Yeah. This is America. Okay. I also recommend. I can't think of the name of it now, but there's a documentary about the making of the Vietnam Memorial in DC mm. and how people originally were really against it, but it's come to be this like 
beloved thing. But when it was initially proposed, there was like a contest to have oh, different right. architects like design it. And a very young female architect got the yes. award. She was a student, she was female, and she was Asian American. Yes. So there's there's that aspect. Also, it's a, you know it's a very different memorial than people are used to. It's not a like statue of soldiers. It's it's the names and the and the rock and and I think it means a lot to people to go and find those names. But originally, people were like, it's black and it's in the ground, like it's we're ashamed of it. And it's it's a I think. People have forgotten how controversial that was once upon a time. So it's kind of an interesting yes, that is an look in- back. I would like to watch the documentary. I've read articles about her and about that memorial, but yeah, it's cool. Um, and they like come to some weird compromise where they're like, okay, we'll put up like a few statues of of like soldiers and nurses and stuff. They're like nearby to right. like appease these groups that are like, this is unpatriotic. But I think it means a lot to the families mm-hmm. to go and find those names. And now they have the traveling one as well, right? Yeah. And it's appropriately solemn, and it evokes right. emo- it evokes complex emotions versus like we're just gonna yeah throw up a statue of a charging soldier, right? And I it's. I mean, it was, yeah, really unique in its time, and I mm-hmm. think it's coming to mean a lot to people, so it's it's cool to think about. Anyway. All right, we're f- f- fine. Oh, before we leave this mystery forever, this did have my MVM. Oh, okay, my MVM comes later. This was Terry uh, Terrell, Terrell, whatever his last name was. What and did he you had, call that? I called it Mr. Prickles. It's just, it looks very prickly. That rendition, your artist rendition of it looks very prickly. I mean, as I was drawing this, I went, wow, this is the worst mustache i've ever doodled there's but a I, very fuzzy mustache later on that but was it does my pick. give you the like um porcupine okay. quality that this guy's mustache had it was, was kind of gray salt and pepper but it looked so like i don't want to kiss that mouth. i was gonna say that's a mustache you don't want to kiss no because it's, it's gonna like give a, you a rash a sand this 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 segment also had great beehives if you like a beehive Ooh, yeah. hairdo Okay, we're moving on to the second mystery, which is a wanted. After we had a really unnecessary update. Yeah, we have an update about twins. The theme of this episode is sort of like the government's not great at paperwork, (laughs) where you you have this thing with the soldiers not really getting the real answer, and then you hear, I don't actually remember if the government was involved in that adoption, but it was like, if only this adoption paperwork was better, we would know what happened to these twins. So anyway, keep your records in good order. Unsolved Mysteries wants you to know. We're going to be talking about Paul Stamper, who is a real son of a bitch. Paul Stamper. I fucking hate him. Stamp his face. Yeah. Um, and this is, he is wanted for abuse, harassment, abduction, attempted murder, terrorism, and escape. And I think this segment could be pretty triggering for you if you have experienced Ugh, abuse or yeah, if that's a topic that... or, like, anything of the sort. So just be aware of that Look, before you, you go watch into this, this episode. episode. I mean, I don't really recommend you watch it at all, it so all. that's probably okay. not a non-issue, but in this case is, you were compelled. was back in 1985 in Kingfisher, Oklahoma. Teresa Stamper uh, had left her abusive husband, Paul Stamper, um, they had originally moved to Oklahoma because he got a job on an oil equipment operation. And he hired 20-year-old Teresa as his secretary. She was smitten with him. They started dating. They had sort of a whirlwind. <laughs> on her on her romance. birthday, he bought her a new Corvette, which we see. And then, when, so when he asked her to marry him, she agreed. And um, she thought she was marrying this, like, kind businessman who's moving up in the world. But, but unfortunately, as soon as he had her hooked, his true colors came out. Yeah. Unfortunately, he was, um, yeah, a horrible, horrible dude. He was already under investigation for his big business practices in Oklahoma. And he had spent time in prison for theft, assault, and fraud, which I don't believe she was aware of. There were reports that he would purposely damage people's oil equipment so that they would call him to fix it. Not that, surprised. That was his scam. So um, within six months, the marriage has already deteriorated and is terrible. There is a reenactment of, oh, God, I love their living room, though. So she, like, has gone out for groceries, and she comes back with the overfull paper bag you always see on tv that has, like, seriously, like, a baguette and a head of lettuce <laughs> sticking right out of the top. No, never, like, never. Who bagged those fucking groceries? <laughs> this is a TV pet peeve of me. People are always walking with a completely, like, 
It's like a box of a paper bag. In real life, the bottom would have fallen out of that bag. Yes! <laughs> so she walks in with her groceries, and he's like, where have you been? It's been two hours. What dude are you seeing? And she's like, I literally went to the store. Like, what the hell is wrong with you? And he's ranting and raving, and he, like, starts having people follow her, and he's like... He's, he goes zero to 100 real fast. He's like, yeah, he's like making his employees stalk her. So that he knows where she is at all times. Dude. Yeah, it's a lot. It reminds me a little bit of in Thelma and Louise. Oh my god, which one's Thelma and which one's Louise? Anyway, one of them has a very controlling husband and it reminds me of that. Anyway. So, um, he was like refusing to let her leave the house and cutting her off for, you know, your stereotypical abusive behavior and also being abusive. Um, so he was eventually arrested and charged with assault and battery, but the charges were inexplicably dropped. And this happened five times. So if you're ever wondering, oh, why didn't so-and-so report something to the police? It's because shit like this will happen. She, we see a photo of her where her face black is eyes. literally entirely black and blue. And somehow the charges were dropped. And he would brag to her that he was bribing police officers. Which he probably was. I can't imagine how else this would happen. How could you look at her in that condition and say that there was not enough evidence? Nothing happened here. Move along. Um, And then some police officer assures us that they looked into these bribery charges and found nothing. Sure. And I was like, you should all be fired and a a total new staff should be brought in. We looked into ourselves and found that we did nothing (laughs) wrong. Yeah. I was like, I'm real convinced. Great. So um, on the evening of January 5th, 1985, Teresa was out. A friend of hers was at her house and fell asleep on the couch. So while this person who's not Teresa is sleeping on the couch... This dude breaks into the house and attacks her with a knife. And she's lucky to be alive. Mm-hmm. It turns out that that person was someone who worked for Paul named Gary Trout, which sounds made up, but that was his <laughs> name. He was, an, he was a local mechanic. So he told investigators that he was contacted by Paul and asked to kill Teresa and that he was going to be paid 10 grand. He had already gotten five and he was supposed to get another five when he was dead. But he's not good at it. So he <laughs> attacked this totally other woman that just happened to be in the house. Yeah, God, wrong place, wrong time for sure. But then when this went to trial, Doug refused to point the finger at Paul. So no charges could be brought against Paul again. So Paul gets off the hook again. <sighs> I hate everything. <laughs> this episode is terrible. This episode is terrible, and this is terrible, and... I, fuck. Okay. So, obviously, Teresa leaves him. Yeah. Yeah. She's terrified of him, but at this point, she was like, uh, you're apparently going to have someone stab me while I'm sleeping? I'm out of here. So, she goes to stay at her parents' house. Well, not one night while she's sleeping at her parents' house, he shoots out the bedroom window right above the bed where she's sleeping, she looks out the window and sees him out there revving the engine. Like he wants her to know that it was him who like did a, it. Like a 13-year-old that stole a car. is like, vroom, 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 vroom. <laughs> what a piece of shit. So yeah, so he makes sure that she sees him before driving away. Yep. And again, what did the police do? Jack shit. Nothing. Big zero. Great. Great. Yuck. Okay. So then that November, Teresa leaves a party with her new boyfriend, Chris Butler. Unbeknownst to them, Paul has been watching them through a high-powered telescope in his car because he's been spending the last, like, six months stalking her night and day and watching her every move. Which, when did he even have time to do these oil scams? Paul, prioritize. (laughs) He's got scams to do. He's got scams to do. Why is he harassing this poor woman that got tricked into marrying him? Oh, my God. Okay, so he... And then you see this reenactment. He's, like, out there in a red hat... You know he wants to say, make America great again, but they haven't invented those yet. I had the same thought. <laughs> I was like, this could be from last week. Trump hasn't gone into the hat business yet, so right. uh, he's out there in his red hat with his stupid telescope, spying on Teresa, sees Teresa again to a car with her new boyfriend, not happy about it. So he, they're like driving down the highway, and they think they're being pulled over by a highway patrolman, and it's fucking Paul. He then shot Teresa's boyfriend, Chris, and abducted Teresa. He was almost mortally wounded. Yeah. He had, like, a lacerated liver. Like, it was very serious. He was he barely close survived. to death. Yeah. 
and that at, at that point, Paul has Teresa. He's holding her at gunpoint. They drive around for like two days. They stop at this restaurant in Topeka, Kansas, and he lets her go to the bathroom. So she bangs on the manager's door to the restaurant instead. And I really hope this is not true, but in the reenactment, she's like, oh my, like, call the police, call the police. I've been kidnapped. And the manager picks up the phone to call the police and then goes, yeah, so we got this crazy lady here. <laughs> Seriously. If I was Teresa, if I had just escaped my abusive husband Punched kidnapped that man her, in the face. I, yeah, I would have picked up the heaviest object I could have found and just slammed it on the top of his head. Are you kidding me? You escape from your kidnapper just to be called crazy by some restaurant manager? Yeah, this whole thing is ridiculous. Everything is trash. Burn down the world. Yep. This is like, so on Twitter, every once in a while, you'll see uh, women primarily posting something that's like, in case you are wondering why women are scared of everyone, it's just like screenshots of someone just unprovokedly being harassed online. This is like the early 90s equivalent of being like, yes. this is exhibit A, why we're afraid to date. Because dude over here is spending day and night watching me through a high-powered telescope after we've been broken up for... Like six months. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of just moving on with his life, he just feels so entitled to ha- to me, to my person, that he's going to shoot my boyfriend. Like, if I can't have you, no one can. Yeah. Yeah. Burn yeah. down What did the boyfriend the world? do? Nothing. Nothing. What does Teresa do? Nothing. This is terrible. She reported him five times to the police and they did nothing. And then the shooting of the window and they did nothing. Right. Everybody follow She Rates Dogs on Twitter. Oh, the best. To see screenshots of... Um, mostly like Tinder chats and stuff of just men being the absolute worst. The one I saw, I think today, I don't know if it was on that account or someone else, but it was like someone who was just trying, a woman who was just trying to sell an iPhone or something and refused to like give this man her personal address. She's like, can we meet at a Starbucks? And he's just like, women like you can't trust anyone. Like, like, yeah, yeah, dude. I ain't giving you my address. No. There's one where a guy says something really gross and she literally just says, ew. And he's like, I hope your firstborn dies of cancer and you're there to see the small coffin lowered into the ground. What the fuck? And he just like keeps going. And then so many of them a little bit later, they're like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all that stuff I said. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, that's fine. It's uh, Yeah, it's fine that you threatened to kill me or that you also, wish my so many child died. Go off about like... Women today. Yeah, or like you just don't like nice guys. And then in the middle of this horrible rant where you're like threatening me, you're going to say that it's my problem because I don't recognize nice guys. Oh my God. Yeah, Paul Stamper, if the internet had been more available to him, would have been that dude. Absolutely. And I hate him so much. He's just, I don't know. He's just bad. He's just like. Yeah. I've seen no redeeming qualities in him whatsoever. No, we should probably just throw him in a hole. <sighs> Seriously. I hope that's how this ends. So despite this restaurant manager allegedly also being a total dick, uh, the police do come help out Teresa. But by that point, Paul's already vanished. So the wanted is, where the fuck is Paul? Where did he go? <laughs> where the fuck is Paul? Where the fuck is Paul? You know, where's Waldo? It's a little different. Where the fuck is Paul? <laughs> And he's a horrible abuser. He's a horrible abuser. It's like, who can find him and bludgeon him first? (laughs) But uh, you'll be happy to know that hours after the broadcast, Paul was arrested while boarding a bus in Salinas, Kansas. He had was returned to Kingfisher and he was held at a county jail for trial. I think there's like a part where he like pays someone to help him escape. Who cares? Whatever. He was sentenced, I think. Yes, he got, was. Like, 30 years. Served like um, 10. Yeah, he served 10. He was paroled in 2002. And I hope he's not listening. Yeah. And this was made into a television film called Escape from Terror, the Teresa Stamper story. Hopefully Teresa was able to go on and live her life not in fear. Seriously. Because he only spent 10 years in prison, so he got out. For attempted murder and kidnapping. Hopefully she's moved away. Usually I feel like sentences are pretty harsh, and I'm like, really? That long? But in this case... But it's hard to imagine being Teresa and knowing that he's out there. Yeah, that seems really, really awful. I also want to mention that the fake name that... um, he was using while out on the run was Gary Wickle. Gary Wickle? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you could pick any name. That's what you picked? Gary Wickle. 
Huh. Or W-I-K-E-L. Wickel. Wickel. Wick- Gary Wickel? I was like, that's that's what you wanted, huh? Okay. Okay. All right. He did have quite a mustache, but obviously he cannot win because he's one of the biggest dirtbags of all time. Yep. He's And I hope that he wanders into a cave and then there's an avalanche <laughs> and the door to the cave is closed forever. <laughs> I like coming up with more and more elaborate scenarios where I don't have to deal with people because I don't want things to sound like threats. Like, I'm not threatening to... You're safe, Paul. I'm not coming after you. <laughs> But I can just idly wish, like, oh, I wish he was walking down a street and a piano fell off a, a rope, like, in a cartoon. Right. That's not a threat. No. I just hope that that happens. Yeah, I hope he falls in a hole. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to push him into a hole, but if, right. he, if a hole appears in front of him and he falls in, no you one finds sometimes him. sometimes there's just those, what are those, those sinkholes, which is it, terrifying. They open up and swallow you up, and... Maybe that's what's going to happen to Paul. That would be good karma. I'd be fine with it. Yeah. Okay, we have one more mystery. Bear with us. I also feel like this episode feels short. With I realize we get an update, but there's only three mysteries, and they yeah. this one. Well, the update was too long, of course, so that cuts some of our time out. This and episode just, they just blows. Weren't good mysteries. This one's a fraud, and it's I mean it's fine. This I don't one would have been better in like a better episode. I was just about to say that if this episode had been if this segment had been paired it. with good mysteries, it'd be fine. But, but because it's paired it. with shitty mysteries, it's like <laughs> no, mediocre it at best. Okay, so. Jo- <laughs> This is a fraud. Josephine White is a con artist who has stolen nearly a million dollars from retired citizens using a scam known as the pigeon drop. Okay. Oh, my God. Clearly, I was really tired when I was taking... This is the only notes I took on this. Three... You have, like, three lines. It says, wanted. Con woman with a thousand faces. Quote, the pigeon drop. And then I just wrote, all elderly. That sucks. (laughs) I mean... So eloquent. I'm I'm done. She pretty much just does the whole thing. Handwriting is so bad, and the pen is like dying. All right, I'm glad Liz did that for me. We don't need to go any further. <laughs> okay, but I'm sure everybody wants to know how the pigeon drop works. Yeah, so I wrote it down. A pigeon drop is a trick in which a victim, aka a mark or a pigeon, is persuaded to give up a sum of money. <laughs> I bet no con artist refers to people as pigeons. I don't understand why it's called the pigeon drop, to be honest. But this is how it works. <laughs> uh, you persuade someone to give up a sum of money in order to secure the rights to a larger sum of money or a more valuable object. The problem is is that the larger sum of money doesn't exist. Right. So you'll say, hey, in order to collect this amount of money, we have to pay this in taxes. But it'll be fine because you're going to make so much money. And then you like do a, some sort of switcheroo and you make off with that person's money. It's, it's like a little more elaborate than that, but that's the gist. It's like if I was like, oh, Samantha, I have this winning lotto ticket, but I can't claim it because I'm underage. What if I sell it to you for $5,000? Right. And then you gave me $5,000 and you went to cash and they were like, yeah, this is fake. This is not a winning lotto ticket. Exactly. And usually there's an accomplice involved, which is the case with Josephine White. So that's the pigeon drop. How it got that name, I have no fucking idea. Oh, <laughs> pigeons, obviously. Fun fact. Pigeons out there scamming the elderly. Sure. They're known as they for do. That. As they do. Golden Girls, season five, episode 22, Blanche and Sophia are victims of a pigeon drop setup. Oh, Casey amazing. Richard, fun fact. That's a solid show. One of her victims, this is Josephine White's victims, Barbara, quote, that's not her real name, is an immigrant and retired hospital worker who lives on a small pension. On April 26th... This is what makes us so cruel. I know. They're really preying on people who do not have money to spare. And don't quite understand, like, like money, like, the American financial system is complicated. So when you're, like, talking right. about these, like, complicated tax things... You're just like, oh, yeah, which even I would do, and I, you know, live here. And I don't have a language barrier. (laughs) I don't have... They would be like, oh, you know, for the taxes. And I would just nod and be like, yeah, of course. I understand what you're saying. Taxes. Taxes. So complicated. (laughs) So Barbara met Sophia in a parking lot on April 26, 1989, acting nervous and agitated. She claimed that she found $70,000 in a bag left in the parking lot. Barbara told her to go to the police, but she did not want to do that because she didn't want them to take the money. She then showed her a note that she, quote, found in the bag. The note said, Dear brother, we've done it again. This time at the racetrack. I've included the money and sent it this way to avoid paying income tax. And then it was signed, Jose. So, okay. This that is, is the ruse. Definitely when I leave people money, I explain why and how I'm breaking the law with it. And also. you say, we've done it again. This time at the racetrack. 
We've done it again, dear brother. We've won $70,000. Again, let us avoid the taxes. Shortly Which, again, <laughs> so complicated. Shortly after showing her the note, a man approached them agreeing to, or asking if they needed help and then agreeing to help them. Josephine and the man, who was her accomplice, convinced Barbara to go with them to Josephine's boss. During the car ride, the man tells a, quote, hard luck story about how much he needs the money. This convinced Barbara even more to help them. After arriving at her... Yeah, now at this point, if she's like, no, no, we really need to bring this to the police, she's like ruining this guy's life. Exactly. So it's not just her being selfish, it's also her feeling bad for this other person. Yep. So she feels like she has to go along with it. Though really, if you found $70,000 in the parking lot, would you show it to just random other people you saw? (laughs) Oh, you're opening up a sack of money and just showing it to people? Wouldn't you just be like, I gotta go. (laughs) You just like (laughs) scoop it into the car. Drive pay on. for everything in cash for a while uh yeah i mean you that's would. that's the part of the scam that i'm like this is the makes hmm. us the most skeptical why is this random woman showing like just why doesn't she just keep the money what does right. she need barbara for but the thing of it is is that we're like naturally cynical and skeptical and don't trust anyone i know barbara is a very sweet woman who it's believes the best in people ladies. yeah uh the opposite of us so <laughs> Wasn't your advice to become a bitchy old lady? See, if Barbara had followed that, she maybe wouldn't have fallen for the scam. wear headphones in public so people don't just randomly come up and talk to you, and you will avoid a lot of pigeon drops. (laughs) Quality advice. When this person was coming up to me, I would be like, no, 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 like, not interested. (laughs) She'd be like, what? $70,000. And I'd be like, sorry. You wouldn't even hear it because you have a murder podcast going? Yeah, I'd be listening to my podcast and also saying, like, sorry, don't believe in Jesus, don't want the pamphlet, and like... (laughs) I'd already be on my way. Speeding up. Yeah. All right. So. <laughs> the only time I'm fast ever. Gotta go. <laughs> so they arrive at what Josephine claimed was her office building. Josephine went inside to, quote, speak to her boss while waiting in the car. Barbara, she claimed he was, like, super good at finance and would know if it was legal for them to take the money and, like, yeah. what they had to do. Barbara continued to talk about going to the police. However, the man convinced her that they would not get to keep any of the money if they did that. When Josephine returned, she told them that her boss said that they could legally keep the money, $22,000 each. However, she claimed that a $5,000, quote, good faith deposit for income tax purposes was required. Josephine and her accomplice then convinced Barbara to go to her home and pick up her checkbook. Because basically, they're sitting there and they're like, okay, Barbara, like, do you have a credit card? And she was like, no. She's like, do you have a checkbook? She's like, well, it's at home. She's like, great, we'll go get it. Right. At the bank, she withdrew $5,000 in cash and gave it to Josephine. This was nearly all of her life savings. <sighs> Later, she returned to the same office building. Josephine went inside, claiming to show the money to her boss. When she returned to the car, she told Barbara to go to a room in the office building to meet with her boss. However, when she went to that room, there was nobody there. Also, they don't go in with her. Yeah. It's like, go into room 204. We'll just wait here. But yeah. everything's happening so fast, you don't have time to think about it. And right. Again, this is not your native language. And so when she finally came back outside, she discovered that Josephine's car was gone. Fortunately, Barbara went to the police, and they were soon able to determine that Josephine White was responsible. She is believed to have perpetrated her scam again in Boston in September 1991, and is known to operate in the eastern United States and California. Uh, there's also, like, a reenactment where she's putting on different wigs very dramatically. Because she is a, the woman of a thousand, a thousand faces. faces. She can lose and gain weight. She can put on wigs and wear jewelry. Uh, scandalous. Oh, my goodness. So the result is that she was captured. Josephine White was arrested during one of her scams in July 1994. She ble- pleaded Good. guilty to three larceny charges and was sentenced to 15 years in prison. She has since been released. So there was my, watch out for her. My choice for MPM, and I don't remember his name, was the investigator who spent a oh, lot of time yeah. on screen talking. He was not only seemed like a really sweet man, but he also had this very fuzzy looking mustache. Yeah, you're right. Like, it almost looked like a small animal that you want to pet. Um, let's call that the ferret. Yeah, it kind of looked like a little ferret. Maybe a little mouse. But a very cute little mouse. He was very sweet because he basically went out of his way to describe, like, how people could fall victim to this. Because after it happens to you, um, you know, for all the reasons we've already stated, you get swept up in it, you maybe don't understand, maybe they're taking advantage of your good nature, um, you get home and realize you've been scammed, and then you're embarrassed. You don't want to tell your kids because they're going to 
call you crazy and put you in a nursing home yeah. or take away your wallet. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to. He was saying that that was one of the reasons why the elderly were targeted because they were less likely just to report it because they were afraid of being put in a home or losing po- oh, or losing I, I, power of attorney. It made me want to cry. That their so children sad. would be like, well, clearly you can't be trusted. Like we're locking you up. And I was like, oh my god, that's terrible. <laughs> so fucking sad. No, so no, Barbara. I'm glad she went to the police. It seems like she always wanted to be, go to the police, and she just felt bad for the second accomplice, and she just wanted to help him out. Yeah. And if it, ugh, it was so terrible. sad, so sad. I hope that her life was not completely ruined by that. It kind of sounded like she might have gotten her money back, but I don't know for sure if that's the tr- the case. Either ugh. way, it was horrible. I mean, that's all the money she had. Yeah. She was living in a very small pension. She had only saved up $5,000, so... Con artists, please prey on people with more money than this. This is not okay. Yeah, fucking get the 1%. I don't care how much money you take from them. Go find someone with six boats and steal two of them. Come yeah. on. They don't need six boats? <laughs> Quit We've been over this. Quit preying on little old ladies. It's not okay. No. <laughs> All right, should we rate this suck-ass episode? Oh, my God. I just feel like Homer Simpson going, they're the suckiest bunch of sucks who ever sucked. That is this episode. <laughs> Mysteriousness? No. None of this is mysterious, honestly. Thumbs down. Thumbs down. Yeah, a want it's not mysterious. No, it's no. thumbs down. Um, reenactments? Eh, fine. I don't sideways. know. Who cares? The fashion was okay. Yeah, you get some great beehives. Um, Robert Stack was not memorable. No, there's a bunch of old lady fashion. That's yeah, what you're into. I mean, fine. Some normcore, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Robert Stack was down, forgettable. I don't know. Down. This whole episode sucked. How are you going to rate it? One. One Robert Stack? Yeah. I'm right there with you. I, I say not worth watching. I don't think it's worth watching at all. Skip this one. Skip it. Also, they're doing previews now for the next episode, and we have another, like, a wanted abusive husband in the next one. Great. So hopefully there's some better mysteries to prop it up, but otherwise it's going to be another suck. I, is this just preparing for me for when we have the purge, so I have to track these abusive husbands down? and maybe shove them in wells yeah maybe yeah at least i'll be well educated on who to target during the purge <laughs> the yeah. thing that's definitely coming yeah the most ridiculous movie concept ever anyway all right that's it thank oh. god do you want to recommend something cool yes but it's kind of a downer so now i wish i had something else okay. but i started watching exhibit a on netflix oh is that good it's fascinating and extremely depressing. Okay. So it is a show about flawed forensic science, and each episode is about a type of forensics, and then they focus on one case oh. that is probably a huge miscarriage of justice based on flaw science. I almost wonder if we should do one of those for Patreon. I would say that's why I started watching it actually, is because I thought that, and then I was like, this, this is, is too really sad. Uh. I don't know that we should make jokes about any of this okay, because fair. I kind of want to die. That's fair. So, so far I have watched an episode on flawed uh, video evidence, um, flawed blood splatter analysis, and flawed uh, cadaver dogs. And the one about cadaver dogs honestly made me cry. Oh, no. It's, this guy is a, is is in prison for murder based on a dog barking at his car. And that's literally the only evidence. Ugh. And that is, cadaver dogs, in my understanding, we're supposed to be leading you towards other evidence. Yes. Not just, oh, this car smells like a dead body to me. Bark, bark. That's literally it. They don't have anything else. Wow. And he's in prison for supposedly murdering his own daughter, which they don't even know that she's dead. They don't, yeah. There's not a body. There's nothing. One of my issues with the Madeline McCann documentary is they sort of show both sides. And the side that is like, they, the parents definitely did it. Their only evidence was cadaver dogs. Yeah. And the way that they did that investigation was extremely flawed. Like, the same handler went in every time. Yeah, it's and not verified by anything. No, dogs will respond to signals you oh. don't even know you're giving. Also, in that Madeline McCain one, I find that even more frustrating because that's a rental property. And they've only been there for like a week. That's that's not even like their home. Right. Who knows? Like, what if an, an elderly person passed away on their vacation five years ago and that's what the dog's barking at? You have no idea. Right. You should not rely on that evidence alone. Ugh. So if you want to be like really angry about justice or quote unquote justice, the legal system. How was um, the video one? That intrigue, that concept intrigues me. Yeah. So the video case is an armed robbery 
where the video is you is analyzed by someone who has never done this type of analysis before, but yet is that is used as expert testimony in court. Of course, because the um, person who is convicted of it or was being tried of it is much taller than the witnesses said. So all the witnesses were like, this guy was like five six. The guy that is convicted is like six two. <laughs> Okay. So they have brought in this so-called video expert to be like, no, he's actually like leaning. Like oh it's not God. him like standing up straight. It's just like so clearly not him in the video. Oh my but God. they got this guy to like do this really flawed analysis that, oh my God. Ugh! Another really interesting thing they talk about how is that, well, they, there's a lot of talk about how, like, we think of video as being this, like, infallible source, and it's really not. And one of the most interesting examples they show is, like, depending on the speed of the video camera, and a lot of security cameras are terrible quality, right? You have these gaps in between frames. So they show that, like, maybe you only see two shots fired in a video, but some of those shots could have occurred in between frames. Oh. So maybe it was really six, and it just doesn't show up on the video. Wow. Just, ugh. So I haven't watched all of them. There's a couple more. I I wanted to watch them all before we talked about it, but I got too bummed out by the cadaver dog one, and I had to stop. I think it's also like, just please, if you if you get called for jury duty, like, don't try to get out of jury duty, because... We need people who are, like, actually going to, like, think and care and, like, not just try to go home. A friend of mine recently got called for jury duty and was trying to get out of it, and I was so angry. Like, I just felt this, like, to the the extent that I can have any, like, swell of civil pride. I was like, no, that's your responsibility to, like, go and, like, the system is very flawed, but this is an instance where you could, like, actually do some good. And, like, the only time I've been called, we didn't, I didn't actually end up on the jury. It was for a federal civil case. I think it was a car accident, but it ended up pled out before the trial actually started, which I think is very common. Um, so there was just a few days where we had to show up for, like, selection, but then it just never occurred. Right. But there was so much middle-aged white guys walking up to the desk going, like, I can't be here. I got to be at work. And then the woman who does this all day, every day was like, yeah, all right, everybody's got a job. Go sit down. <laughs> like, who, you're not special. Like, this right. is part of how the system works. As you yes. come in, the fact that you have a, a meeting with Tokyo later today is not important. Like, <laughs> this is part of, uh, so frustrating. At our um, book club meeting last month, there were two women there who are attorneys. And one of them said that you would not believe how racist people become when they're called for jury duty because everyone's trying to get out of it. And the fastest way to get off of a jury is to just be like, say like overtly racist shit. I cannot imagine doing that. It's no. disgusting. It's, it's if you do that, I'm going to come for you during the purge. <laughs> I'm going to kick your ass. First of all, I can't imagine being willing to like associate yourself or like say that out loud. Yeah. Like just to, aren't you a little bit afraid you're going to get your ass kicked? You should be. I would be <laughs> like you're. Well, ugh, ugh, yeah, disgusting. I just I'm not I'm not cut from Please, that same if cloth. You can, if you're not in a situation where being on jury duty is going to make you choose between like food and heat, if you can like financially show up for jury duty, even if that's like not pleasant, even if that's going to be somewhat of a hardship for you, like it's so fucking important. It's really important. A friend of mine was on a jury for a spousal abuse case, and most of the jury was going, "This isn't our business." Oh my god. Like, this should just be handled between them. Oh, my God. So, please go and don't be that person. Go argue with that person. Yes. And say, no, absolutely, he broke the law. He, You don't get to just beat your wife. <laughs> yes, no, you don't. Apparently, that needs to be said. So uh, Apparently. Oh, my God. Now I'm so worked up. I'm sorry. This is not my recommendation, but speaking of our book club last month, we read the book um the cadaver king and the country dentist oh yeah I can't, bradley belko is one of the authors i can't remember the other one there's two people that wrote that i didn't book. read it because it sounded like a real bummer it was a real bummer but it's also wild so that book is about the in generally speaking it's about the coroner system but it tells the story in the con by telling the story of the this coroner in mississippi that um basically like played the system and got every prosecutor in the state to work with them because they always gave the prosecutors the result that they were wanting. And this person um, was not only (sighs) doing bad autopsies and was not qualified whatsoever to be performing autopsies, um, worked with a man who was a dentist who 
claimed to be a bite mark specialist. And let's just say that there were um, college students being paid to bite each other. There was autopsies being performed on the side of the road. This is a wild fucking story. I really recommend that book, but I do want to say that there are some like graphic depictions of child sexual abuse in that book. Yeah, that's why I skipped it. You said that, and I was like, I'm out. Brief. And I, I did not think needed to be in the book. So if you have the stomach for it, it's a crazy story that I don't regret reading about, but it's... It's a little bit gruesome. Hmm. What um, is your actual recommendation? My actual recommendation is a different book, and I need to pull it up so I can get the author right. It's a book I read on Friday. It was a very short book. Um, let me pull it up. Okay. Uh, it is Hacking the Code of Life by Nessa Carey. This is a book about gene editing, uh, which I saw hmm. recommended on a YouTube channel that I watched, this woman who reviews books. Um, I saw that it was really short and that Audible had it. And so it sounded interesting to me. So I used a credit for it. And um, I know shit about gene, like genetics. Uh, so I was able to read and understand this book. It was written in a very... The reason I got it actually was because she recommended it for a general audience because it's written very plainly. Mm. Um, it's almost written too plainly. Like if you know a lot about genetics or you maybe are a scientist yourself you might find this book to be a little bit too basic yeah there was a whole section on like what is dna which i was like okay come on i remember this much from science like i know it's a double helix okay uh but wait what i know it's it's wild (laughs) um but i so basically like six six or so years ago Basically, overnight, several scientists about the same time came up with a way to edit genes in a way that was cheap and effective. I think we were able to do it previously, but it was very uh, arduous mm. and not cost effective. And there are new technologies now that just just came out very recent past that allow us to do gene editing easier and cheaper. And the whole book is about ways that people are using gene editing and ways that we might use it in the future. So there is examples like um, if we were to do it in humans, we might be able to eradicate, say, Huntington disease, mm. which is a genetic disorder that is deadly and often people are diagnosed with it late in life. So many people who are diagnosed have already had children. And if you have children, you have a 50% chance of passing it on to them. So if we were able to identify those people and edit the genes of their like embryos, and then use in vitro. I'm not exactly sure the whole technical way you would do it, but you could ensure that their children wouldn't be born with the disorder and maybe even eliminate it. Um, There was a case that she talked about where basically controlling invasive species by doing gene editing. So in the Caribbean, they have this invasive type of mosquito that's not native that Mm -hmm. uh, carries malaria. And they created these genetically modified mosquitoes that had something called a suicide gene and released them into the wild and they mated with the the mosquitoes that were out there and then all of their larvae died and they noticed like an 80% decrease in the population of these invasive mosquitoes um, and they were able to do that without chemicals. So I found all of those to be extremely interesting case studies. It was a short read. I read it in like a day. I think the audiobook was four hours. Um, I thought it was fascinating. The only thing I didn't particularly like about it is I didn't think she had very nuanced discussions about the ethics of gene editing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is something I think you have to talk about in a book like this because that's like at the forefront of the discussion. Like countries are trying to determine if they should regulate gene editing. You may have seen the like article that went viral not that long ago about the man in China, the scientist in China who uh, claims to have performed gene editing on humans. Oh, yeah. Uh, two uh, twin girls were born that he said he did gene editing on and made them, I think, res- he alleges that he made them resistant to HIV, um, but no one really knows because he did it very poorly. And she goes more into it, into the books and how it could have unintended consequences huh. and how he jumped the gun because the scientific community was still grappling with this. And now a lot of countries are like, uh, should we regulate this? Um But I don't know that she had, like, super nuanced discussions. For instance, um, she goes a little bit into the um, debate within the disabled community. So people Mm -hmm. that have disabilities are saying things like, you know, maybe we shouldn't consider genetic disabilities to be, like, a scourge against humanity that we need to eradicate. Right. Like, they're not saying we shouldn't, we should just all out ban gene editing, but they're raising a lot of valid questions. And I don't know that she, like really teased those out in a way that was great. Well, it's, the book seems way too short to get into It was that, way too short. Stuff. 
And I, so I felt a little bit uncomfortable with that discussion, but I do think overall it was a very interesting read and I learned a lot. And I don't know, given that this is such a new thing, that there are other books out there that are written for a general audience on this topic. Yeah. So if it's something you're interested in, I definitely recommend it. Have you read Orcs and Crake, the Margaret Atwood book? No, I haven't. I think you would love oh, it. Oh, I should check it out. You think you would love it. It is like a apocalyptic slash post-apocalyptic book about like gene editing gone awry. Oh, I would and like it that. it is one of the, like, I just like couldn't put it down. It's like one of the most like intense reads. It's so fascinating and like entertaining and crazy. I would really like that. You would really like it. I mean, reading this book made me like... I don't know, it kind of took my breath away, the things that we're able to do and that we basically just figured out how to do. Yeah. Like, this has been a whirlwind. There's now, like, these multi-billion dollar companies that are doing gene editing, and it's moving into humans, and I don't know, we're not that far away from an age where we can, I don't edit the genes of our offspring. Like, it's Can it's I edit wild. my own genes right now? So there's people that do it. There's some guy at a conference that like injected himself was like edited DNA to make himself like beefier. I don't know. It didn't work, but yeah, but it's so cheap that you can do it at home. You can get the raw materials and do it at home. That's terrifying. Yeah. If you know enough about it, I'm sure someone with a more science mind than mine could probably figure it out. Wow. Okay. I'm going to lend you Orcs and Craig. Okay. I'll take it. About how wrong it will all go. It might. I mean, the world will end long before then, probably. Yeah, that's true. So you don't really got to worry about it. The purge will happen, and Liz will be out there (laughs) with a baseball bat chasing down abusers. A baseball bat full of nails. Yeah. (laughs) Don't mess with me. All right. Okay. Whoa. I think we're done with this episode. We're so done. because I should say that next week we're going to have a podcast out. Podcast. uh, Because we don't have it in us to record pre-record two full episodes. And we're going to be at the podcast conference. So you can enjoy a podcast. We did have to take a week off to celebrate the Roswell, an anniversary of the Roswell incident with mm-hmm. our loved ones. I hope you all enjoyed it as well. Uh, that definitely was not because of schedule conflicts. That was totally No, absolutely. We Roswell. were observing the holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you should find us on social media. It's perhaps it's you on those things. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We have a Facebook group that's a lot of fun. Follow us there. We have a website, perhaps it's you.com. You, you can, can listen to episodes. There's a not updated page on our recommendations. Uh, there's has contact information. Yeah, a form. You can email us. You can get a link to buy us coffee or sign up for our Patreon. We could use some caffeine, let me tell you. Yeah. Help make season four better, people. Please. With five-star reviews, money, and caffeine. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> If you have a couple extra dollars a month that you want to throw our way, it's patreon.com slash perhaps it's you. You get you get coloring sheets. You get a gift every quarter. You get bonus content no matter how much money you give us. It's pretty cool. It's one of the best Patreon deals going. It's a bargain, let me tell you. And eventually I'll get Samantha to sell her bathwater. Eventually. Eventually. Hasn't happened yet. Is that everything? Uh, you know, we, I would sell my bathwater at the million dollar level. So it's pittance. Yeah. So come forward one percent. Let me know if you want some. <laughs> Actually, my price is way less than a million dollars. Actually, if I'm being honest, mine would be perhaps too, it's you podcast at gmail.com. We'll, we'll negotiate highest offer. Yeah, I'm gonna negotiate. You know what? I'm taking a bath anyway. What if the highest offer is like forty bucks? You take it. Probably. I'll buy some Wet and Wild. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I want that new Pac-Man collection. Let's yeah. go. Let's sell some bath water. <laughs> All right. This episode's gone to a weird place. Uh, as usual. Thanks for listening, five listeners. Get out there and solve some fucking mysteries, you bitches. <laughs> <laughs>